You know, first, just shout out to uh, Coach Phillips, you know, going against uh, a longtime legend. Um, you know, that I got a lot of respect for him and, and his team and what they've done so far this year. So, you know, we knew it was going to be a challenging uh, uh, game and an opportunity for us. Um, our team played great today. We, you know, last week we, we played three great phases, special teams, offense, and defense. I challenged them this week to, to do the same. And often in football, you don't get to duplicate or guarantee you could duplicate what you did the week before. And you have to go take it. You have to go work for it. You have to go, you know, out in the game and take it from the team. And these guys did it. You know, we had some uh, a good start by our offense early. Obviously, we don't want to fumble early. But we were able to put some points up on the board. Donnie made a great kick before half. It gave us some momentum. And then we had a lull a little bit on offense on the second in the second half. And that's when the defense stepped up and just played a great game. You know, that, that's what we have to have, complimentary football. Uh, nobody points fingers on our team. Uh, we just, you know, whatever the situation, whatever the challenge is, whatever the, the celebration is, we're all in this together. Uh, these guys have bought into the culture, and they believe in it. We believe in, you know, whether there's a minute left or whatever it is in the game, that we're always going to come out on top. So uh, we have to start winning games back to back to back. You know, we had lost one, lost one the last four games. And in order for us to get where we needed to be, we had to win this game. So uh, let's keep thinking, you know, we can stack these up and keep going with it. But it was a great team win. Guys were, were prepared and uh, to go on the road and, and win uh, a football game versus a, a very good Houston team, uh, give them a lot of credit. All right, tough game for us. I mean, we played really well at home. Uh, we were undefeated at home, we're not now, but um, you know, a couple of things happened that, that ended up really hurting us. Uh, uh, the guy made a 60 yard field goal at the half. Uh, we probably should have punted there, but you know, I, I thought, well, Best they can do is get you know a long field goal, and we could return it. I didn't know he had that kind of leg. Uh, we had scouted him, so I, we thought that he wouldn't he wouldn't be able to kick it that far, and we might get a return for you know a touchdown. So but that didn't go well. Um, uh, we got a fumble on the first play of the game, uh, and uh, we got a fumble for a touchdown. So those, those were good things. Uh, we were hit and miss. We moved the ball at times really well and uh, made some good plays. So um, I'm still looking forward. This this team is uh, resilient. Uh, you know, we've got we've got three more games. But we still have an opportunity. Welcome to your eighth XFL Insider Podcast. This is Matthew and Drew. We got some great updates regarding this week's games and last week's games as normal. I'm trying not to say um as much, but I'm already failing, so <laughs> please correct me if possible, Drew. Drew, you got anything to say before we get started? Hey, your count's at one before you're done with introductions. Let's not make this a trend, bud. <laughs> we need to start a... The, an um jar instead of a swear jar, an um jar. But I'm broke enough as it is. I don't need that. <laughs> I feel that, sir. I feel that. All right. So today we're going to discuss a few news items. Nothing major. Uh, as normal, we're going to game summaries, talk about last week's games, so what happened, some previews and highlights for next week after that. 
Following that, we'll do some power rankings, and then we'll talk about the AmbushSports.net Players of the Week. Jake is not joining us this week. I think he's feeling a little bit under the weather, even though the Battlehawks did get the win over Houston. So let's just get right into it, Drew. Just wanted to bring up the TV numbers this week. Um, compared to last week, they went up a little bit, but nothing really has changed. We expected it as fans, uh, spectators, news media. In my judgment, I'm not really judging these numbers. I'm not going to fret over a few thousand change here and there. Uh, I feel like we're seeing what we need to see for the continuation of the league. Drew, what do you think? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a a big it's a big deal that the XFL is actually already in the planning stages for season two. Uh, they came out and said that the ratings really at this point in time, while they could be a big deal that they're lower than what we started with, I think it's worth putting into perspective all the things that have gone on and will continue going on as the season goes. The XFL is going to be competing with with different sports throughout this this point in time nascar's on even though it's kind of outperforming nascar in in some markets uh, which is a good thing but you're coming towards the end of the nba regular season you're coming into the usfl i believe which i believe starts not this week but next week i'd have to look at that up uh, fact check me on that matthew i mean numbers being where they are is a is a jump back from last week uh, in a in a good direction but it's it's not not while it's not anything to write home about it's not anything to be worried about either uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't expect any kind of change if if the ownership group thinks that season two is already something that's going to succeed and they're planning it then i think we probably all better get our cabooses ready for for next year and hitch up to the train because it's coming. The caboose is real. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I, I think everything's fine. I think regardless of your stance, so if you're for the XFL, if you're against, you could probably use these points to defend an argument. Regardless, that's not we're not really gonna we're not we're gonna hit on this hard. I just wanted to bring it up for the people that are listening. Now that USFL does start next week, I actually thought about going, but I'm gonna go to Houston instead for that game. So go XFL. <laughs> I'm gonna say ooh, ooh the opposing league. <laughs> uh, I'm just watching. I'm I'm spectating. I hope for good football from all ends. I love Memphis though, so it's a special place in my heart. Yep. Hopefully when the XFL expands they get uh, brought into it. <laughs> the, Me- the Memphis Maniacs would be amazing. There's many of folks that remember that team. That's true. I think they got something good going with the showboats though. No doubt. I'm excited. But as we go forward, let's keep up with the XFL pace, and hopefully someday we'll hit the USFL up. Uh, I did it again. There's there's two that I've counted, two of them. <laughs> <laughs> let's discuss uh, the championship game tickets. They went on sale a few days ago. Now, there's a little bit of um, discombobulation with the process. From my understanding, some people got pre-sale ticket codes, others didn't. Personally, I didn't receive a pre-sale ticket code until yesterday. And when I viewed the tickets that were left, there wasn't much in terms of good seating. I did note that the tickets were reasonable. End zone seats for $75, I believe. Uh, I'm sorry. 
actual yard seats were $75 and end zone seats were 30, 35. So it was reasonable for that championship game. And it looked like there was a lot of tickets sold. Uh, just wish that the process would have been a little better because there's a lot of fans from what I'm gathering on the, the social networks that weren't happy about how it all occurred. Yeah, I think they just weren't happy because it didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. It's not that they were disappointed in the process itself. It's they were disappointed that there was no process, it seemed like. I can imagine that it makes sense. You want to schedule your travel. You want to schedule your hotel. You got to take off work. So, I mean, I can get it. I don't take anything away from those fans that value that experience. Are you planning on going, Drew? I need Houston to make it all the way to San Antonio so I can bank on those media credentials, baby, through the Roughnecks. <laughs> I hope it gets us through, brother. If not, we'll buy us a ticket and attend either way. Yeah, other. I mean, if there's any tickets available, I mean, by, by that point, I may be partying outside with the Brahma Mamas until they all go inside and leave me to drink alone. <laughs> Sounds like a good time there as well. Uh, in terms of the championship game, it's good that the fans are supporting it, regardless of who's going. I think we have a, cr- a clear-cut idea of kind of what's happening in the north. In the south, things are kind of jumbled up still. So I'm hoping that we can really get some ideas of who's going to be playing. There's a little bit of, of a competition going on in in the north as well. I mean, you've got... St. Louis and Seattle battling for that last spot across these last three weeks uh, for the se- for the second playoff spot. I mean, uh, we don't know how DC's doing. They dropped a dropped a head scratcher of a game. Uh, it could I mean it could moving forward Orlando could end up being somehow in the top four. I'm not even going to entertain that thought right now <laughs> because it's depressing. <laughs> the, I picked them to win this week. I picked them to win this week too, and I think I'm probably picking them for the rest of the season in their games. There, it's Dormady's played out of his mind both games. The defense is finally playing good because they're not on the field for eight hours each game. It's as much crap as I've talked about Orlando. It seems like they finally got their little voodoo creation out there going. No doubt. Speaking of Orlando, let's talk about Paxton Lynch going to San Antonio. Do you think that's going to help them out? I can tell you who it's not going to help. It's Paxton Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably going to end up injured. Like San Antonio just can't protect the quarterback. They can't. They don't. Really, that offense has just been devastated this season with with injuries. They lost Kalen Balage. They lost Bankert when uh, when he came in. Cone, I would argue, probably was playing injured. I don't know if he actually got injured. I think Cone's actually starting this week, according to the depth chart. Really? Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. yeah I don't know. It, what I do know is it's going to be a terrible offensive show, probably, between them and Houston. I don't, I don't know that that's going to be – I don't know that San Antonio has much to be worried about from Houston's defense right now. Tim Ward's out. Trent Harris has been back. He's been playing well but he doesn't have the other bookend to that defensive line that helped helped him be so effective in the first four games of the season. All, all that to say, I don't think that Paxton Lynch is going to see some magical success in San Antonio. Agreed and understood. But at the yeah. same time, you would have asked me the same about Quentin Dormady out of, and Orlando. I would have been like, uh, yeah, probably not. That Those guys suck. But yeah. what happened there? So 
who knows? Paxton Lynch could be the shot in the arm that San Antonio needs, and then they turn around and start start picking up and distancing themselves from Arlington. Yeah, two weeks ago, we were having a much different conversation regarding Orlando and their quarterback situation. Right. Now, uh, let's talk about Philip Lindsay. He's coming from the NFL, and he's, he went to the Seattle Sea Dragons. He's coming from a okayish offish career in the NFL. Do you think he's going to be a valuable in the asset for this team going forward? Yeah, I do think so. I think the Sea Dragons without Ellison definitely need to turn somewhere for for some production out of the, out of the backfield. Ellison arguably was carrying a lot of what they did on offense uh, between him and Jacor Pearson. I think Philip Lindsay, his he had like you kind of mentioned a checkered career in the NFL so far. He, he kind of bounced around with Denver and didn't really have any offensive line support. It, it was really hard for him to get going, but that experience in the NFL, I think, is gonna is gonna reap benefits for him. I think he, you're gonna see him step in and almost immediately have an impact. It's good to hear. I don't feel like the Sea Dragons needed much assistance, but it's gonna be better to watch them for sure. I've become a Sea Dragon fan over the past few weeks, unfortunately. <laughs> you take that back. <laughs> so that's me. I'm sorry. It's just it, it's fun football to watch. I enjoy watching them play. No, they do play an exciting brand of football. I think if anything, it's been. I'm gonna say it again. Ben DiNucci is the only reason that they're worth watching. I think because you never know when that interception is gonna come. It's like a suspense game. You're just waiting for it. When it finally, it's almost like watching soccer. When that goal finally happens, it's like the most amazing thing or the most heartbreaking thing that ever happened. Exactly. Either way, if it's a pick or a touchdown, it's just entertainment. So enjoy it. Last up for a notable transaction, we had DJ Swearinger. He went to the DC Defenders. Any expert analysis on that? Yeah, here's my expert analysis. What year is it? That dude got drafted (laughs) in 2013. So in reality, bringing in an old head that has NFL experience is a huge deal for any team when you're talking about a safety on defense and somebody that can still play safety on defense, DJ Swearinger is a ridiculous athlete has been his entire career. Saw snaps on, on multiple NFL defenses, great communicator, great tackler, good in coverage. I think him stepping in there either in the absence of Mike Joseph or even aside or beside Mike Joseph, when, when they, when he gets healthy again, is going to make that D.C. defense all that much harder to score against. Yeah, I think together that's going to be a deadly combination, as you said. Okay, before we move on from the news, was there anything else you wanted to mention, Drew? I don't believe so. I think we touched on the really the three biggest things. I, I guess I will say, with Philip Lindsay, I, wanted, I did want to mention, am I the only one who thought that was an April Fool's joke? The first time I saw that news was on April Fool's, and I just wrote it off. I, le- I legit thought it was this, something similar to what the Battlehawks did, where they were pretending they were moving the franchise to Los Angeles. Like, I understand. Because of what I've been doing on social media, I've actually quit posting a lot of the speculatory um, information that I'm receiving I try to wait till an official source comes out. By that time, everybody and their mom already knows what's going on, but I don't feel like I want to buy into any news unless I know that it's official. We have access to the media portal through NXFL, 
but I haven't seen it been actual updated with any information since we've started. And that's just the transaction reports. Yeah. Which is honestly, that's, that's been one kind of beef that I'd somewhat have with the XFL is their media relations has not been great across all eight franchises. Some of the franchises have better media teams. Like San Antonio has got a decent one. St. Louis, I think has the best one in the league. But everyone else seems to kind of fall a little bit short. I mean, hell, Orlando gave their their print media people that were sitting in the press box mugs earlier this year, like coffee mugs. It's like we we got a we got a cookie with the logo on it, like <laughs> at, at Houston. It, there's no there's no continuity. There's no show that they value the press and the growing like the amateur coverage of the game to grow the game there there's kind of no there's not a lot of connection there yeah i'm not going to disagree with you i appreciate what they do offer and give us but at the same time we're not getting paid and we're providing a lot of exposure for the league as well as players topics news there's a lot of things i mean just my facebook alone uh, typically uh there's 500 to a million people seeing my post weekly. Uh, that's a big deal for the XFL. I'm sure there's a lot of other groups like that as well. Like I said, I just am not going to share any speculatory stuff going forward until I see a, a official thing coming out about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, you can't look to look a gift horse in the mouth. I, I do definitely appreciate what the xfl has done to this point and the access that they have given people like us but man i mean i feel like they're missing the boat on on really growing the game a little bit so yeah no doubt as well as just connecting with some of the local markets as well yep. the the 2020 xfl <clears throat> personally i feel like they did a great job at that i was just a fan then but i was plugged in and I was plugged in as you could be possibly from a fan, uh, watching numerous fan shows online, listening to podcasts, just checking out stuff all day long. And now it's a little harder to find that information. Yep. But anywho, we appreciate you, XFL, and we're hoping year two you really implement us in there and try to get us to help you out. All right, let's roll into the game summaries. <clears throat> First up, let's discuss the Seattle Sea Dragons. They took down the Arlington Renegades 24-15 to in Arlington. That game was a lot better than I expected, Drew. What do you think? Um, it's about what I expected. Uh, any game that Ben DiNucci goes into, that's about what I expect. Some sort of late drama, some sort of close game, or, or at least one possession game where he did something kind of foolish or the team did something kind of foolish to keep it close when it really shouldn't have been credit to, to Arlington. They played, they played a really good defensive game, uh, kept that offense kind of in check a little bit, but I, I mean, ultimately Seattle's just the better team. So I kind of expected what happened there. Yeah. There wasn't too many highlights to discuss. I'm curious to see what Philip Lindsay does when he does, when he gets on the field for the sea dragons. Darius Bradwell, he had a two-yard rushing touchdown. Uh, otherwise, there wasn't much much going on. Josh Gordon had a good touchdown. Yep. Uh, 
I, I was just happy that we didn't see a bunch of field goals. So I'll take it. Yeah, that was that was refreshing about that game. It was it wasn't just Arlington getting close and not being able to do anything. They actually scored a couple times. So yeah, Drew Plilt looked pretty good. I mean, he didn't look great, but compared to his previous plays, uh, yeah, I thought he looked pretty good. Definitely. Do we want to discuss anything else about this game before we move forward? Let's talk about Ben DiNucci real quick. He Ben DiNucci's okay. the number one passer in the league right now still. I think he's held that number since week two or three. Uh, right now, his passing yards, he's got 1771. He's got 12 passing touchdowns, but he also has nine interceptions. Yep. That's, I mean, so generally speaking, with quarterback quarterback play, you want your quarterback to be at minimum a two to one touchdown to interception ratio for you to ha- for you to have success. The reason he's at what'd you say twelve and nine? The reason yes. yeah, the reason he's at those numbers, look at the offense that he's playing in. And then look at the style of quarterback he is. So he's he's pretty he's pretty much built in the frame of kind of a Brett Favre. He's a gunslinger. He takes unnecessary risks sometimes. Sometimes they pay off. Other times they don't, and that's reflected in his touchdown and interception ratio. But also, I mean, air raid, run and shoot, all of these spread passing attacks that are primary passing, they're always going to have high passing numbers as far as yardage goes. And usually as far as touchdowns go as well, because if they're not scoring early in the game and running up the score, then at the end of the game, they're scoring garbage time touchdowns because overall that offense is very hard to stop. Uh, But they have a true number one in Josh Gordon. They've got Jacor Pearson. They've got a tight end. That's reasonably good. They've got running backs that catch the ball out of the backfield. They've got everything that you could want in that offense. If they have a different quarterback than Ben DiNucci that actually takes care of the ball, you're probably looking at the best team in the XFL, honestly. Yeah, I want to add Ellison is now on injured reserve, and that's why Philip Lindsay's coming in to relieve that duty. Yep. Yeah, so that's that's why I think Philip Lindsay's going to step in and be an immediate impact. I mean, Ellison's already set the mold. I think Lindsay honestly could come in and break it and and just be you know, all that in a bag of chips, so to speak. No doubt. No doubt. All right, let's move on to the San Antonio game. <clears throat> San Antonio lost to the Vegas Vipers in Vegas, 12-26. to It was a rough one for San Antonio, and it has been for the past few weeks. Um, <laughs> Poor guys, man. They've also lost Kurt, Ben Kurt, so he's out. Uh, they're having a lot of issues there in San Antonio. We've talked about them multiple, multiple weeks on the game, on the podcast, whether it be from coaching to players. At this point in time, Drew, what do you think the issue is there? What do I think it is or what do I think it stems from? Any or the above. I mean, we know that they got beat. We know that it wasn't a great game for them. Vegas did pretty good on their end. But what what does San Antonio have to do to step it up? I don't think there's anything that they can do, honestly. Their their receivers are decent. They've got a decent receiving core. It's not anything special. 
their offensive line is atrocious. Going, I mean, thinking back all the way to week three, they couldn't run the ball on, on Houston. And that was a close game. That was a game where Houston pretty much threw the brakes on in the second half and didn't even try to score. But they could they I mean, they had four runs from the one yard line, couldn't score against Houston. And you've got a huge bruising back like Kalen Balaj and four tight ends on your roster at that point. Your bread and butter was supposed to be running the ball and you can't do that. And then you show as the weeks progress that you can't run the ball, nor can you protect your quarterback. Even bringing in a, a different quarterback to to make the offense better. Yeah, he made the offense better, but he didn't last two quarters. He got hurt. He broke his ribs. So that's why I kind of made the remark about uh, about what's his name coming from uh, Paxton Lynch coming from Orlando. Like I don't I don't think that he's going to have a fun time behind that offensive line. I think you're going to see you're going to see Cone start. Lynch may get some snaps, but if Lynch gets some snaps, you've got to be very wary because he's he's just going to be like he's going to be just like Cone or just like Banker, just like anybody behind that offensive line, and he's going to be fragile because he's exposed. Paxton Lynch doesn't really have a great running ability, so he can't really make a whole lot of time for himself, so it's not going to change the timing of the offense. The offense is still going to have to hum, you know, as the plays are called now. They've kind of, I think it stems from the draft, honestly. I think I think Heinz Ward had a strategy going in, but he didn't necessarily have a plan B. And when he started taking players, he realized, holy crap, I'm going to have to change my approach. And went to the the kind of power spread thought and that didn't work out either that's that's just strictly from looking at what the what the rosters were on opening day or opening week rather because all the other rosters seemed like they fit what the what you would imagine those teams would run you could tell what they were going to do based on their personnel with san antonio you're looking at it and you're like okay nobody else has four tight ends on their roster Who's Jack Cohn? Who are these offensive line? What are we doing? So I don't think that there's much going forward for San Antonio. Now, I did say earlier, I can't remember whether it was on or off the pod, but I could be wrong. And and Paxton Lynch could be the, the best thing since sliced bread that's happened to that offense. So, you know, he could he could have kind of a Quentin. Uh, dormity effect nobody really knows but i highly doubt that with the way that that offensive line plays it's just atrocious it's swiss cheese and that's something that you have to go into next year thinking i really need to step that up they've got a great roster other than that really i mean like i said the receivers are very capable of making plays they've got a good tight end or uh, several good tight ends honestly They've just got to get that offensive line in check and then let those quarterbacks grow to be what they can be. Understood. If you watched the game, you saw that they, the first half was okay. It was actually good football. But after that second half, it was almost as San Antonio gave up. Yep. The Vipers just took it and ran with it. I think they scored two touchdowns unanswered. And so at least let's see San Antonio played out till the end is what I hope. Yeah, I mean, there's only one game separating them and Arlington right now. So 
past or over the last three weeks of the season. Who who knows who's going to make it out of those two? Should be a good one to watch. I know we were talking a lot of mess about these teams a few weeks ago, and now look at us. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Ever since John, since John Trey Kirkland got hurt, man, we can't. We haven't been able to say any much anything positive about Houston. Oh no, no, yeah, our team fell off. Other teams have fell up. I mean, that's how it works. But it was yep. definitely unexpected this this amount of, of losses in a row. Yep, for sure. All right, what we got next? Let's see. Da-da-da. Speaking of, well, let's save Houston for the end. I don't want to talk about that yet. Um, DC Defenders, the unbeaten champions, are finally beaten by the Orlando Guardians. They lost 36 to 37 in Orlando, and that game was a nail biter. What do you think, Drew? I love this, and I think everyone at home did, unless you're a DC fan. Well, if you're a football fan, you absolutely love it. You love an underdog beating a, a favorite. Everybody loves that. The comeback story that is Orlando really could probably have a movie written about it. I mean, you open the season, the quarterback that showed a lot of promise doesn't get a start in week one, is completely off the team in week two. He's accused of giving plays to other teams. The XFL comes in, says, wait a minute, we're not kicking him out of the league. We're going to investigate this. So he's put on the commissioner's naughty boy list, for lack of better terms. They come in, you know, during this time, Orlando's losing every game. They're getting killed. It's bad. By the time he's finally cleared and gets reinstated to the team, the coach has had all kinds of problems with culture on the on the squad. And getting everybody to play for each other. It seemed like everybody was playing me ball. Then Quentin Dormady shows up on a white horse in the sunset, riding not into the sunset, but away from the sunset towards you. And just absolutely blows the doors off every defense that he faces since he's come back. Now, granted, he's only faced two, but high output, extremely high output from Dormady with that with that offense. And the defense finally being able to play because they're not on the field forever. They've, they're a completely different team. Honestly, with how bad Arlington and, and San Antonio are, I could see a scenario where Orlando maybe maybe makes the playoffs. I can't believe I'm saying that. There's three weeks left in the season. They've won one game. It, it could happen. They're not mathematically eliminated. Houston's not winning a whole bunch of games. Arlington and San Antonio aren't winning a whole bunch of games. You know who's winning a whole bunch of games lately? Orlando. So, it, I mean, it's it's not 100% wild to say it. I think it's still a very outside shot that they do it. They've got to have some help, obviously. But, man, the way that they played against D.C., I mean, it's obvious that they can beat anybody. Yeah, the the fact that they could beat that middle-tier decent D.C. defense was impressive to me. Dormady threw for, he had 27 of 34 passes. He had 328 yards of passing with three touchdowns and three rushing touchdowns. Right. A six, a six touchdown performance from the guy you kicked off the team after falsely accusing him of giving plays to the, to the other teams. And he still has the maturity to come back and play for the team rather than hold that against anybody and carry the team. 
Yeah. Absolutely. It, it was impressive. I bet if you started him on some daily fantasy stuff, you were very, very, very happy with yeah, the output. Just him alone. <laughs> yeah, I've made a little bet on some fantasy, and I, I don't. I'm not doing that anymore. <laughs> Get wrecked. It definitely. Other than the Guardians beating DC <coughs> and Dormady's performance, do you have anything else you want to add from this game? I think it's an interesting glimpse into what might be coming with with DC. So, obviously, Orlando found something on film that they could exploit. So what is that and how do how are other teams going to make that adjustment and do the same thing? And does DC even know what it was? Because DC kind of seemed shell-shocked. They didn't really change or adjust during the during the span of that game. So whatever it is that Orlando found, it's possible that DC could just overall be weak to it. Maybe they were trying to adjust and they just couldn't. They didn't have the personnel to adjust to it. So it was just a shootout. So who knows? Next week, we'll tell, and we'll talk about that more soon. Okay, our final game of the week, of last week. The St. Louis Battlehawks added another loss to our Houston Roughnecks with a score of 24-15. to 15. That game was played in Houston. Drew, you were in attendance. Uh, sad day for a Houston fan, and sad few weeks for a Houston fan. The Cole McDonald performance, as well as our coaching, I don't feel like it was up to par. And I'm sure you've got a lot more to discuss on this than I do. It's the first time that I've been to a live football game that I wanted to claw my eyes out because of how bad my team was playing. Honestly, it was, I wasn't even hanging on a thread the entirety of the game after the first quarter. I knew what was going to happen. I knew we were going to lose, and I thought it might be by, by two possessions. We got lucky, and it was only by nine points, so one possession. Lots of r- called run plays out of the shotgun with a dual-threat quarterback where you take that option completely away from him to pull the ball. It's a called running play, hand the ball off, run it up the middle, or try to get around the edge. And instead of giving him the freedom on all of the run plays to pull the ball and go, and trusting your quarterback in what he's good at, you take that option away, you make yourself one-dimensional, and St. Louis just shut down Houston. Houston couldn't get anything going. Coach Phillips and Cole McDonald both said in the press or post-game that they had that they were moving the ball. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. They're, we didn't even really get close enough to kick field goals. It was a complete and total beatdown by St. Louis. We got yards between between the 35s. <laughs> we, we got into their territory. We didn't really do much with it. But St. Louis really put on a clinic offensively. They were timely. They ran the clock. They, they kept Houston's defense on the field. You know, Houston's defense ended up making a play and getting a touchdown. Uh, it was a great play. Uh, by Will Likely, the third. But even after that touchdown, it wasn't nobody in the stadium, I think, really thought that Houston was going to win. There was no pulse from the offense. As soon as the offense came back out and and they ran three or four plays, the whole stadium knew what was happening. 
it, that it wasn't going to end very well. You throw into the mix Butler having that absolute Sports Center top ten crazy catch in the end zone for a touchdown, and that just kills any any vibes that you get from a from a crowd standpoint. The crowd was actually good. There were twelve thousand plus there in attendance. That's the first time that Houston's done that this season. But man, it was. I mean, it was ugly. It was really ugly on the offensive side. There were drops. Cole McDonald was having a very inaccurate day, which is un, it's uncharacteristic of him. I think part of that is he wasn't put into a groove with running the ball, too. That's what he enjoys doing the most is running the ball. But another part of that is, like I was like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to say it again, John Trey Kirkland was a very important part of this offense, and Houston does not have a true number one anymore. So they have to, they have to roll with what they got and create lanes with what they got. And when you take that option from a quarterback that is built to run the ball, you take away a dynamic from your offense and and you really run yourself into the ground. It's like a train trying to get traction on a dirt road. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, I expected a lot more from Cole. I hope to see him further down the line and we get some stuff rolling that he needs. And, And Silver's coming back this week from injury. I don't know who's going to start. I don't. I can't imagine the offense being better with Silvers in there either. I mean, we saw what happened against DC. So we don't have a number one threat. Everybody sits deep and makes us take the underneath stuff, and that's good until we start needing to pass the ball deep over the middle or deep down the field, and our offense can't hold up because we're having to wait longer for somebody to get open because we don't have that deep threat. Everybody's covered. And it just turns into Sack City. And I think regardless of whether you have Silvers or McDonald back there, you're going to take Sacks. So if I'm the coach, personally, I'm going to take the guy who can possibly get out of those and make plays, and that's Cole McDonald. Now, you lose some passing prowess, obviously. Uh, Silvers was the second-best quarterback in the league up to that uh, point where he got pulled against D.C., whether it was injury or whatever. But Cole McDonald honestly, for me, would be the guy that we turn to for the rest of the season, for better or for worse, because right now you don't really have a choice with your play calling. Yeah, the loss of John Trey Kirkland hurt us severely as Houston fans and a team. I'll say I was surprised last week. They got rid of Nick Holly. Um, he's actually in San Antonio now. Not sure really what that reasoning is on that, but there's a lot of stuff we don't see. So, right. I'm a big Nick Holly fan. Most people from Houston area are. Yep. Yeah, I mean, he's a franchise legend. He was super good in the in the second iteration of the XFL with P.J. Walker throwing him the ball. He, he made some highlight plays, ran the ball a few times, was was primarily receiving the ball, was just all over the place. He was the, he was a playmaker on, on a really good Houston offense. Yeah, I'm curious to see how he helps that San Antonio team also coming in. Yeah, I, unfortunately, I am still of the opinion, even knowing that that he's there, that there's no helping that San Antonio offense, at least not this season. Understood. Now, let's note uh, the Battle Hawks, uh, since we're talking about field goals, you know I love field goals. Donnie Hagerman, or Hagman, he had the longest field goal this season of 59 yards. Yeah, Donnie, Donnie, Donnie boy. It was, it was funny in the post-game press conference. Coach Beck asked how long the field goal was. 
because the the media guy for St. Louis announced that it was an XFL record. He told him it was 59 yards. He goes, oh, okay, cool. So he he has no room for error now. <laughs> he owns the record. <laughs> he, he literally can't miss field goals the rest of the season. He's got no idea. <laughs> that should be his record from now on out, I would say. Excellent kick. That look that kick looked like it was short live, like in the stadium, but it carried. It carried hard. There's there's a little bit of a wind going on uh, that was that was at his back, but it didn't it didn't look like it was big enough to carry it. But it carried probably a good 15 yards. Uh, Houston even had a guy back because they thought it was going to be short. I mean, if it was short and Houston's return man gets a try at it, I think it was Will Likely that was back there. Will Likely's been really dangerous all year on punt returns. He almost brought a couple back against Arlington, but he also fumbled a couple of times. But if if Will Likely gets a shot at that, then we could be talking about a a much different ballgame. Yeah, that field goal hurt me as a fan, a Houston fan, but as a, a spectator of the game and analysis, I really enjoyed watching that. I'll tell you from this is my first game watching from home. Usually I wa- I've been present. And I'll tell you they did not show the the people there much if at all. Uh, I was watching with my girlfriend and I just wanted to know get a general idea of get my own vision, but there wasn't too many times where they panned up where you could tell how many people were there. Yeah, the funny thing was is there was more in attendance it. than what there was prior. Right, and they they showed the the fans in earlier games as well and decided not to show the fan. Uh, it must've been a call from the XFL film headquarters to say, Hey, we're just not going to show fans the rest of the season. So I don't look watching the DC game. I don't remember seeing a whole, whole lot of the fans in that game either. So your snakes required, I guess for that going forward. <laughs> right. So we'll talk more about our Houston team here in a minute, but, do we have anything else we want to share about this game before we move forward? We both sound so depressed. <laughs> <laughs> we just killed the vibe of this entire pod because we had to talk about Houston. Oh my gosh, it's so bad. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> it was a train at first. We were running. Uh, the first few weeks were crazy. And now that things have settled down, the dust has kind of departed. I feel like we kind of hindsight just shot 20. our wad too early. Yeah, hindsight 2020. Well, first off, that's going to get us demonetized. <laughs> that <comment. laughs> Don't worry, we're not monetized anyway. <laughs> I was expecting to check. But, <laughs> no, <laughs> it seems like hindsight 2020, it was, it was a train and we were waiting on, waiting on the wreck. And the wreck is finally here, unfortunately. Choo-choo to week eight. Here we go. Yeah, right. Let's go. All right. Let's discuss the Vegas Vipers. They are battling the St. Louis Battlehawks. That game is in St. Louis. It's Saturday, April 8th at 1 p.m. Eastern, and it is on ESPN. As I think the Vipers are going to put up a good fight here, but they're not going to come out successful against the Battlehawks at home. Yeah, I get the same feeling. I think this could be kind of a back-and-forth game. I think this may be the first time that the – actually, I can't remember. Have the Battlehawks scored more than 30 points in a game this season? I would have to verify our local Battlehawks expert is not yeah. here today. I don't think they have. I think their highest score has been 28. 
I may have been sick and not made it on the show this week, but I know where you're definitely wrong, Drew. So I'm going to haunt you from post-production. The highest that St. Louis has scored this season is 29, and that was two weeks ago against Vegas. So, nice little tidbit that I'm adding in in post. Emotional damage! I will send you to Jesus. Either way, this could be a big offensive output for St. Louis, but I would expect Vegas to score a, a few touchdowns, maybe two or three. Maybe not have success on the extra extra point tries, but but definitely they. I think they probably score at least twice. They found something at quarterback, and uh, I think that that change really brought productivity to that offense. But that offense isn't good enough to keep their defense off the field for long uh, swaths of time. So ultimately, St. Louis is going to end up winning. <clears throat> Jalen McClendon looked good last week for the Vipers. Really it'll, be, it'll be a different change-up from the original game with the Vipers versus the Battle Hawks. So I think we're going to see a different change of pace as well as like different scores here than what we saw initially. Yeah. Uh, so the Battle Hawks are seven-point favorites. And the over-under is at flat 46. Where's the game being held? This is at the Battle Dome. So, yep, yep. so there's touchdown plus favorites at home over under at flat 46. I think that, that I think we'll see, definitely see the over hit. And in my opinion, the seven is about right. I don't know that I would touch that, but I would imagine that St. Louis probably covers. Yeah. I'm going to go with you on that. I'll note that Jeff bat it. He's hurt right now. Did I say yep. that right, Drew? Jeff Bidette. Bidette, Jeff Bidette, he's hurt right now. He hasn't practiced the past couple days, but he's still got time to participate. Not looking likely, though, with the do not practice a couple days in a row. Right. McCarron was hurt this week also, but it looks like he's good to go now, according to their depth chart. Honestly, I think even if McCarron was hurt, he probably would play. He's just that kind of guy. Yeah, and that's the best quarterback in, in my mind during this, this run of the XFL so far. The best to watch, the most consistent, and he throws that ball. He just doesn't make mistakes. Yep, yep, that's what I'm saying. He throws that ball, and it's just beautiful most of the time. He comes through when his team needs him to come through, and that's what you want to see, even if it's just twice a game. Exactly. Okay, do we have anything else we want to cover on this before we move forward? Uh, No, I think that's pretty much it for that one. It's pretty straightforward. I I don't know that there's a lot of room for much anything else to happen unless some extreme injury happens next up let's discuss the arlington renegades they're taking on the orlando guardians that game is in orlando it's saturday april 8th at 4 p.m eastern it's on espn also so two games on espn back to back this week that's a good thing this is going to be probably ugly for arlington and we do got louise perez starting according to the depth chart. It's going to be interesting. Luis Perez can sling it, but I'm not 100% sure that he's going to be good in his first first start. Usually with, with Luis Perez in both of his previous shots in the XFL, he was slow in the first couple of weeks and then picked up later on. I see the same thing happening here. I think he's going to kind of run into a buzzsaw here with Orlando. Orlando's playing really high. Arlington has 
not a lot of potential on offense. It doesn't seem like they've got a really good tight end. They can kind of run the ball sometimes, but they've not put any put any particularly convincing performances together on the offensive side of the ball. Meanwhile, Orlando's coming off two really good offensive performances back to back and their defense is flying high. So Orlando, I think, is going to win the game. Uh, imagine, is it Orlando? Is it in Orlando? Yes. Okay, so Orlando are, the Guardians are one and a half point favorites only over Arlington. So it would seem that Vegas knows something that we don't. Because I would definitely take Orlando at one and a half. And the over-under is 42 and a half. So I would expect Orlando to get three quarters of that by themselves, Just by virtue of Arlington's defense being on the field all game. After what we just watched last week, I think that that over is definitely going to be there for this game. Yeah, I I do think Arlington's probably going to score a touchdown or two with Luis Perez. I don't think they get any defensive touchdowns. Watch, I say that, and then Dormady will throw like two or three pick sixes or something and just completely prove me wrong. I mean, their defense is okay in Ar- in, in Arlington. I mean, it's not a bad defensive yeah. unit. No, honestly, it's a really good defensive unit. If they had any kind of offense, they'd be one of the top two teams in the league probably. But No doubt. And they haven't had it all year. So... Plus, they've lost playmakers on the back end of that defense, too. So, it's, to me, I think Orlando's just a buzzsaw waiting to chop up Arlington. This would be an entertaining game. And like I said a month ago, if I'd have said that or somebody told me that, I would have laughed. But now I'm looking forward to it. Orlando really has something to play for here. So does Arlington. So, I guess we'll see who wants it more. Yeah, I mean, if, if Orlando beats Arlington, the playoff race for the South just got really interesting. Because now you've got three teams vying for that second spot. Before we move on, anything else you want to bring up or discuss? Nope, just eager to see that overhit in that game. No doubt, no doubt. Same here. Okay, let's talk about our Houston Roughnecks. They are taking on the San Antonio Brahmas. That game is in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome. It is Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern, and it is taking place on ABC. Uh, I'm not. Drew, just you got it. I'm not. You go ahead. Before we say anything, I am not betting on this game. I would not bet on this game with your money. I would not advise you to bet on this game with other people's money. This is one I would not touch. If you look back at week three, Houston only won by one possession. You could argue that it should have been an overtime game probably because Houston had that def- that defensive stand on the goal line in the fourth quarter or third quarter. I can't remember which quarter it occurred in, but regardless, that was a, that was a very close one possession game. And San Antonio very well could have won that game, honestly, if it went into overtime. Now, Houston doesn't have much of an offense. We don't have an offensive threat. We haven't for three weeks now. So what exactly is Houston going to do against San Antonio's defense? San Antonio's got a good defense. Luke Barku is nothing to mess with at corner, and his counterpart at corner is nothing to mess with as well. So on top of not having a deep threat for Houston, now you're looking at 
your two best receivers after that deep threat being locked down, probably. You're talking about probably Deontay Burnett and would have been Ben Putman, but you're you're probably looking at Michael Bandy or somebody like that now. So now you're going to have to wheel and deal and try and create offense where there has been none. And I, honestly, I think Cole McDonald probably could unlock this the defense because I don't think the San Antonio Brahmas have a great defensive line. So that may be somewhere that, that Houston can take advantage is in the front seven because Houston does have a decent offensive line. If they try and pass deep or deep over the middle, it's probably not going to work a whole lot. You're going to have to rely on running the ball to beat San Antonio if you're Houston now. Your pass game's not what it was. San Antonio's got a good defense. The thing is, San Antonio has a worse offense than Houston. So can Houston get lucky and score a touchdown early? I think if Houston does that, they have a good chance to win. If Houston goes down to San Antonio, I don't know that Houston can come back. So scoring early, I think, is going to be the key. Houston is a five-point favorite on the road in San Antonio in the Alamo Dome. Over-under is set at 40. I am highly inclined to take the under, but like I said, anything can happen in this kind of matchup. I would not bet on it. I don't think Houston or San Antonio win by five. So it wouldn't matter who was the favorite. I don't think they combined to score twenty uh, to score forty points. To score, if they score forty points, it would have to be like eighteen to twelve, and it would be a push. And I, I just don't. I don't know. I see the under hitting. This is going to be hard to watch. Uh, I think for all fans involved, it's it's a good thing the DC defenders and Sea Dragons are following up this game because this game on its own probably would not get a lot of viewership. Yeah, unfortunately, this one is going to be on ABC also. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, I I test to what you're saying. I think it'll be an under as well here. I think we'll get close, though, probably more about a 38, 35-ish type scenario. Personally, if the Houston Roughnecks go down here and lose, or go up there to the San Antonio Brahmas and lose, then... We're going to have a rough few weeks left for play. <laughs> I feel really dumb because I said 18 to 10 or 18 to 12, and that would only put it at 30. <laughs> Quick math. Southerners doesn't match. <laughs> I knew what you meant. <laughs> Either way, I still don't think that over hits. I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. If it does, it's going to be close. And if it does, also, it's going to be unexpected, and it's because someone's going to find their way, finally, in this path. Right. Silver should be back, according to the depth chart. I'm not sure. In terms of the injury reports, <clears throat> he's been limited. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I don't think it matters who's going to start a quarterback. If the offensive coordinator is not, not willing to give Cole McDonald the freedom that he needs to run the ball on just about any play, then... It, it probably isn't going to matter a whole lot. I've said it for a few weeks now is the running game has been pretty poor. It's like we're scared most of the time to, to call the plays we need. Yeah. So uh, hopefully we find our seed legs and get back to the true uh, Houston championship fruition. Anything else you want to cover on this before we move on? 
No, I'm ashamed that I had to cover it to begin with. <laughs> now I'll say Cedric Bird looks good. He does. He's, He's just not enough. Yep. Cedric we need two of them. Ravel Harris has come alive, but both of them on underneath stuff. They had a couple of big gainers kind of over the middle on some late slants, but nothing really to break the game open, right? I think that might be what, what Coach Phillips and Cole McDonald were talking about with moving the ball, but that's just a couple of plays where you got lucky and hit a guy late in a progression, and, and it worked out. Like I don't think that, that any of that was super, super planned. Time will tell. I'm hoping, hope, I'm hoping for the best myself. Okay, let's move on to our last game of this week. That's the D.C. Defenders taking on the Seattle Sea Dragons in Seattle. That game is Sunday, April 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern. It's on ESPN2. The, the D.C. is coming back from their first loss this season. What do we think? Is it going to be another loss for D.C.? It could be. It very well could be. I don't, man, this one's a hard one to call. I don't, I think you're probably going to see DC win this one. And the only reason I say that is because Tiamu is playing good conservative, protect the football, football. And Danucci is bound and determined to throw at least an interception each game. So in a game like this with two high powered offenses, usually you're talking about turnovers being the difference. So I can see DC creating a turnover. I can't really see Seattle doing the same, honestly. Uh, I kind of expect it to be a low scoring game, honestly. Uh, you know, everybody's coming in thinking it's going to be a shootout. I think it could be a low scorer, but I fully, I fully expect DC to win just because, you know, unfor- unfortunately for Danucci, he does have that that bad habit of throwing picks. Yeah, Seattle's coming off of a five-game win streak. Curious if DC can knock them off that. Like I said, I've become a silent Seattle fan almost since we had Tommy Jones on the podcast. He really put it in put it in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Much respect to the Seattle team now. Good old Tom Cat. So do you think, in terms of the over-under, what's it? I got 46.5. Yeah, 46 and a half is the over-under. I think it's going to hit under. I think DC's probably scored in the 20s. I think Seattle may see, may score. If they score in the 20s, it'll be low 20s, but I'm thinking probably around uh, 16 to 18 points for the Sea Dragons. Sea Dragons are actually the favorites. Yes, I've seen that. At home. But anything less than a field goal at home, I think... That kind of lends credence to the visiting team being a little bit more the favorite in Vegas, trying to sucker some people in. Yep. So I think if I were betting, I would probably take the defenders to cover and uh, win outright at plus 110, and which, I mean, that's almost not worth betting. But uh, the over-under at 46.5, I think I would bet the under. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Either way, this game's going to be really close, in my opinion. I don't know if anyone's going to necessarily run away with it on either end. Yeah, yeah I think we're going to see a defensive battle, two very well-coached teams. I think it's going to come down to just who turns the ball over less, honestly. That should be an entertaining one also. Like I said, I, the the play from Seattle is something I enjoy. Now that they're getting Philip Lindsay out there, 
I'm wondering if he's going to carry that explosiveness into that backfield, almost like Ellison was when he was around. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that they're going to skip a beat as far as that goes. But I do think that his limited exposure to the offense is going to play a little bit of a part in either in a turnover or or just in general schematically for that Seattle offense and just be kind of he'll get his running yards. He'll probably get some catches out of the backfield, but I don't know that I can, I can buy either team exploding for points this week against each other. It's too big of a game for that. Yes, sir. Makes sense. Now, as I said, so we have two games on ESPN. That's the Saturday games. And we have one on ABC on Sunday and then one on ESPN two on Sunday. If we're we're talking about our TV numbers here, we should see an expected uptick of of watchers, of viewers. So we shouldn't let it get our panties in a wad next yeah, week if this isn't happening. Right, and especially with the coming down to the last few weeks of the season, with it coming into playoffs, I think that's going to hold a little bit more weight than the beginning of the USFL. So there shouldn't be much con- uh, competition as far as viewers go between the two. Uh, hopefully. So hopefully people are watching and, and involved in, in who makes the playoffs and want to see it. So, Yes, sir. Anything else you want to mention or cover about those games before we move on to the power rankings? No, and holy crap, the power rankings this week. Good grief. What do we do with the bottom half of the league or the perceived bottom half of the league? Lando's blown thing the hell out of the water. I, I, yeah, if it was my power rankings, I would definitely be moving them up a notch or two. I won't say two, but maybe one for sure. The stats from that game alone were just... It was nuts. It was awful. enough two or three games. Yeah. Yeah, so... All right, well, I guess we'll get into it since, Sounds since good. be the perfect... Uh, perfect segue there so obviously dc even though they lost is going to stay on top that's their first loss everybody else has at least two so dc's still the top dog they didn't even uh, they didn't really even lose by that much they missed a field goal that probably could have won it for them so it's it's whatever dc's number one I'm not all that enthused with saying that. I, I live close to D.C. and work with D.C. fans, uh, so it's not a fun environment for me anymore. <laughs> uh, St. Louis at number two. Uh, they beat the number four team, which was Houston, last week. So they stay at number two. Seattle has that matchup with D.C. this week. They're staying at number three. And then Houston still is at number four because I still think they're a better team than Vegas and Arlington and and those guys. Um, So top four is D.C., St. Louis, Seattle, Houston. What do we do with Las Vegas, Arlington, Orlando, and San Antonio? Part of me wants to put Orlando at five just because they seem like they have the most life out of any of those. Um. Unfortunately, their body of work doesn't necessarily support that yet, so I can't just give it to them. Uh, so Vegas, for right now, is going to be number five, bringing up the back half of the of the pack. Arlington, they just got Luis Perez, so that's going to give them a little bit of a boost in my eyes from the offensive standpoint, even though I'm not 100% certain they can protect him. 
Then Orlando, I put it over the top of San Antonio. San Antonio has basically no chance of fixing their offense in my eyes. I can't really see them being anything other than the the bottom of the of the barrel from here from here on out it, this season. So we're looking at DC number one, St. Louis number two, Seattle number three, Houston number four, Vegas at five. Arlington at six. Then we have Orlando at seven, moving up from the bottom for the first time. And San Antonio. Nice. I like it. And I like the San Antonio switch. I feel that it's very, very appropriate. Now, tell me this. If Orlando comes through and stomps a mud hole in this next team's butt, do you think they'll be moving up in that rankings as well? If they come out and beat Arlington, I'm probably going to put them. It depends on how bad they beat Arlington. If That's what come, I mean by stomp some mud hole. Yeah. I mean that that last week was intense. Yeah, if they if they destroy Arlington, I'm going to have a hard time not putting them at number five minimum. Nice. Now I know we've got a lot of debate going amongst the ambush staff concerning <laughs> the Orlando and the North and the South. So I wish we had Jake on to to enlighten us a little bit on his opinions. Yeah. I- and we do need a different perspective. We're, we're depressed and pigeonholed. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He's got St. Louis, so he's holding on to the, the, the good positive vibes. He better hold on while he can because Seattle's coming for it. No doubt. Well, thanks for those power rankings, Drew. Always insightful. Appreciate it. Okay, let's move on to our next portion of the show. We're going to discuss the AmbushSports.net players of the game. So this week we had two players of the game, as we do normally. Uh, As you can tell, and offensively, (laughs) there's only one name that should be there, and that is Quentin Dormady. Quentin Dormady had a great game. He's the QB for... The Orlando Guardians. I'm pulling up his stats right now. Six touchdowns over 300 yards passing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's, yep. Three yeah. rushing, three passing. Yep. Great game on his end. Got honestly, is that the best quarterback game of the year? That's the best quarterback game in the history of the XFL. Whether you're talking the first iteration, second iteration, doesn't matter. That's the best quarterback performance that we've seen in spring football. So that's super impressive on all fronts. Absolutely nuts. It's well-deserved. Yes, sir. Agree. Now let's discuss the defensive player. That was Delonte Scott. He is a D-lineman linebacker for the San Antonio Brahmas. Delonte had seven tackles, uh, one sack and a half, two tackles for a loss, and one fumble. Uh, What do you think about about Delonte this week? So Delonte Scott is a, he was kind of a known commodity coming in. Everybody knew he was good. The team he's on doesn't, it doesn't really lend itself to him being able to show out. The teams can kind of game plan for him. Vegas had nothing for him. He was eating Vegas up and yeah, Vegas won that game, but Delonte Scott was everywhere making plays and at big times too. Uh, Some of the, some of the big momentum shift moments, Delonte Scott came up really really big so uh, he was he was a part of multiple sacks i think it was one and a half sacks he was officially credited with but he was a part of of at least two sacks when when you're a 
a linebacker, defensive end, defensive lineman, kind of hybrid guy. You don't necessarily always expect to get those numbers when you're the one that is getting game planned against like that. So for him to do that, especially against a dual threat quarterback and somebody that could uh, a game plan that easily could have adjusted to him to take him out of it. Uh, I think that says a lot about what he, what he brings to the table. Yeah. He plays with some fire and intensity <clears throat> when he got the fumble, uh, the forced fumble, uh, everything was real, real fast and he doesn't stop. He doesn't let up. So he, he's a good port- person to watch on that defense. Absolutely. They've got him listed as defensive line on there. That's what I, I noticed him on different ends of the field. Not ends of the field, but whether it be defensive end or backed up a little bit linebacker. So he's definitely a multifunctional player, and he's going where he needs to be. Anything else on these two guys before we move on? That's That's it on the show, by the way. <laughs> you got anything else to say? I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> Week eight, guys. It's been a fun one. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to sit at home and watch some football for a couple of days. I don't know about you. Yeah. The Saturday, Sunday schedule setup should be perfect. There's no crazy Fridays or Mondays. I don't have to stay up till 1 a.m. Um, right. I'm, I'm pretty happy this week. Yeah, I think so, too. I think I'm a little bit exhausted from this last weekend. I did a lot of running and then... I ended up sick for the first three days this week, so it's just been a tough one overall. So there's a little bit of truth in that, hey, are we done yet? It's ready to go <laughs> type <laughs> mentality. But, <laughs> but we do it for you guys. We bring the information to you guys, bring the opinions to you guys, and see how it all plays out. Yep, we love it. Mm, we love the feedback as well, so give us the feedback. Yep. For the love of the game. <laughs> Player 54 podcast. I mean, there's yeah. already one of those, but you know Probably. what I mean? I mean, there is, I'm pretty sure, but. <laughs> Who cares? Call it what we want. As always, want to say, say thank you to Ambush Sports. Great network. Check them out online and on all social media networks. Um, I'm the XFL Insider Podcast. You can find me on all social media platforms also. Haven't been as active as what I was initially. Really took a step back, and I'm trying to make sure this podcast is completed and we're getting things done accurately and then still live a life. So uh, if, you, if you do notice me back up a little bit, that's all that is. I'm still here. I'm still paying attention. Don't worry. Drew and I both plan on being at the game next week, next Saturday. So that should be a good time. Yep. And then for myself on social media, on Twitter, I'm at Ambush Sports. H-O-U for Houston at Ambush Sports H-O-U and for my Facebook page it is Houston Roughnecks dash Ambush Sports We appreciate it as always Drew and look forward to another week of XFL goodness Yes sir Go Orlando (laughs) I'm not going that far What do they even say in Orlando do you know I don't think they have any saying What do you say for a guardian Guardian up or something. Peace be with you. <laughs> now, <laughs> I want to say thanks to XFL Board. Also, they host us on their site, so thank you XFL Board. Um, forgot them, but anywho, it's been a great show, great week. We look forward to another great week of football, 
Thank you, Drew, for coming on. Thank you, fans, for listening. Everyone have a great night, great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Enjoy. Enjoy.